The following podcast may contain adult language and conversations revolving around situations not suitable for immature audiences. Spoilers and general political incorrectness can often be expected, so listener discretion is advised. They must be destroyed on sight! Okay, we're back. They must be destroyed on site. Episode 81. I'm your host, Lee Russell, joined by my co-host, Daniel Harper. How are you doing, sir? I am making it. Uh, it's, making uh, it? The snow started the, this week. Um, as of today, we got so we got a couple inches of snow uh, here in Michigan. And so, um, yeah, there we go. only have uh, one question for you, Daniel. Do you know what Mama likes? <laughs> I know lots of things that Mama likes, and I'm sure we'll talk about at least a couple of them today. Yeah, so we're going to be doing two. Uh, well, one of them definitely is is a lesser black exploitation film, but uh, we're going to be doing uh, two female black exploitation films. Initially, Daniel suggested Coffee and uh, Foxy Brown, and then I suggested, hey, let's do two uh, lesser known ones, two uh, maybe slightly less in quality ones first, and. We'll build our way up to uh, coffee and Foxy Brown sometime in the future. Yeah, we're going to be doing... It was a reasonable decision to not like, take on the Giants first. You know? like, yeah. I get that. I wanted, I wanted to give you a little bit more of a taste of uh, the, the sort of female black exploitation stars before we got on to uh, Pam Greer awesomeness. But uh, uh, we're going to be doing Cleopatra Jones, and we're going to be doing TNT Jackson uh, for this episode. But uh, before we get into that, we do have two comments to get to. First off, from our friend Henry. He's uh, come back to uh, leave a comment after a hiatus. Apparently, he's playing catch-up. He said he just listened to our uh, episode that Paul and I did on uh, the Demons films. Goes on to say, Virgin Among the Living Dead is not a bad movie. And he insists that. He has an exclamation uh, point right afterwards. Just Uh, one? Yeah, just one. I, I feel like I feel like the maximum like exclamation points in at the end of declarative sentences like that. One is what you need. Like one emphasizes your point more than that, and your credibility goes down. So I think that's yeah, the I, the right choice. I think the Oxford Dictionary would agree with you. Uh, but and then afterwards he's got ellipses. Uh, if you get the right version. Oh. Uh, he says, I apologize again for not specifying before I had you guys watch it all those episodes ago. The recent Blu-ray release has the good version. He says, as per recommendations, I have to renew my call for the, the, the uh, Karnstein trilogy from Hammer. The first and third films are particularly good, as is the unofficial fourth installment. We'll definitely be getting into those at some point. I mean, lesbian vampires. I mean, yeah, I'm yeah, <laughs> yeah. bored with that always. Didn't we talk about Virgin Among the Living? Like, I remember watching the French version that he recommended and saying, "Yes, this is vastly superior. This is the version we should have watched." Um, yeah. But maybe he missed that uh, that episode. So yeah. maybe there's even another version. <laughs> uh, I, well, I wouldn't be surprised. I honestly would not be surprised with with all Franco's uh, stuff, just chopped pieces all over the place for years. He ends up with saying, and yes, I'm champing at the bit for more of Daniel's synopses. So there you go. You got another fan of your synopses. You and Mike Murphy both like them. Yeah, well, you know, that's because people actually appreciate it. 
when I do some degree of work for this podcast, which I didn't do today. I'm just reading off Wikipedia today because fuck it, I'm not doing any work today. But yeah, um, so I'm disappointing. I'm disappointing my like two fans today. Yeah, so. although uh, we, we we agreed uh, beforehand before we did this episode that we're going to take it a bit more casual than usual. We're not gonna we're not gonna pull an M here or uh, or a fucking Nosferatu <laughs> or something like that. I don't think, but. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I don't think we're going to uh, delve into the history of uh, German expressionist cinema and uh, the uh, political rise of Nazism. Talking yeah. about TNT Jackson and Cleopatra Jones, <laughs> I, you know. Mike Murphy uh, has a comment. He says, in regards to our Iron Eagle episode, he says my favorite parts of this episode, in in quotations, jizz and magic Negro. So there you go. <laughs> my two great contributions to that episode, as far as I'm concerned, was uh, mm. using the word jazz and magic, magic Negro. So I am fully on board with this. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I, I left a response to him on uh, where he left it on the Facebook page. Uh, I am not surprised at all that those were his two favorite things in, in that episode. But uh... I mean, really, those might be the two greatest things I've ever done on this podcast to date, was, you know... <laughs> Uh, Reagan era jizz fantasies and uh, calling out Lou Gossett Jr. as being the Magic Negro of the Iron Eagle film, or the first I, one anyway. I think we've used the term Magic Negro at least three or four times this year on the podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've used it. I've used it. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's a standard. I mean, it's a standard thing you say, like you know, when there's a black man who like magically helps the white protagonist to solve all of his problems, that's the standard thing. You know, you might as well, you know, we could call him a bagger Vance, I guess. You know. But, yeah, I was I was about to, I was about to say at least we, at least we're using it with uh, movies that are good, not uh, Will Smith teaching uh, Matt Damon how to golf. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't need that in my life. And uh, CB Fall uh, comes back with a comment uh, on our, our Iron Eagle episode: really terrible movie and an excellent podcast. So there you go. That's kind of the go-to thing that we try to do a lot of the time with this podcast: is to just take terrible movies and then to talk about them entertainingly, but not in a, like, douchebag, pretentious, hipster way. You know, I think that's the that's what I try to do here, is to examine things that are bad to tell you why they're bad, but not to mock them for things beyond the control. Sort of yeah, thing. I kind of frown on the um, Mystery Science Theater kind of approach of uh, watching movies to, to quite, a, to quite a degree. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of that stuff, as, as a lot of people are, but... Uh, well, it's just a little tired, especially in podcast form. I loved MST3K when I was a teenager, and you know, like, I, and, you know, I'll still sometimes watch. I mean, I've got my favorite MST3Ks. I kind of pull up, and yeah. there's some great stuff when you have like professional comedians, you know, kind of like. But there's a difference between like a professional comedian kind of talking about something and kind of ribbing it, in the, you know, and, and telling a really funny joke about it versus two douchebags on the internet just ripping into something that they don't understand. And that's what I feel like a lot of the, you know, a lot of the commentary on stuff like what we're going to be talking about tonight is, you know, like, oh, look at the, look at how bad the, the Kung Fu is and that sort of thing. And then, but not have any kind of context to understand what it places or anything like that. And that's kind yeah. of where I, I land on it, you know? So. Yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling uh, philosophical. I'm four beers in, by the way. I'm on my second. Technically, it's probably my third, considering the uh, coffee porter I had was a big bottle. So, uh, sure, sure. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, we got no, uh, we got no other really things to talk about. Uh, no uh, stuff we've watched this week. We're not going to bother with that. I don't think either of us have oh, anything. I did. I did get to see Labyrinth on the big screen this week. Oh yeah, um, the Jim Henson, uh, Terry Jones movie. Um, one of Shannon's favorites, my wife's favorites. It was at the Alamo, and they did the action pack thing, you know. So it's uh, basically a quote along. You've seen the film, I assume. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So we're in the uh, stinky swamp thing, and they give you like whoopee cushions, so you like you know you're supposed to like. Oh, okay, yeah, I've, thing, you know? I've heard I've heard Kevin Smith talk about like this kind of interactive uh, theater experience now with yeah. movies. Like, if you, if you go and watch like, uh, a movie where there's snow on the screen, all of a sudden you'll actually have snow like falling in the theater on your head and shit. I mean, this was. I mean, this is more like it's a quote along, and they give you some little like props to play with. Like, yeah. during, they give you like some instructions, and I mean, it's it's a fun little experience for a movie that you've seen a bunch. That I kind of grew up with it. My wife just loves that movie. Like, regardless, the thing that I kind of landed on was uh, the uh, Pit of Eternal Stench or the Bog of Eternal Bog <laughs> Eternal Stench. I completely, until watching it this time, had no realization of the degree to which that really is just a ten minute fart joke. I mean, yeah. really, I mean, that, that's all it is. <laughs> and I'm kind of like, oh, yeah, it's a stinky swamp, and it's got a, but no, 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 no. It's a little, like, flatulence all the way through. And I hate that it took me until the age that I am to watch it and go, oh, this is just one big fart joke, but it totally <laughs> is. So, um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Well, that's really all that movie is, 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 is puppets, fart jokes, and David Bowie's cock in 3D. Uh, I think that's pretty and nice. And uh, jailbait Jennifer Connelly. You can't, you can't leave that element out of it. Yeah, there's like several there's a several key movies in the 80s that feature jailbait Jennifer Connelly and you know, they make make me feel very uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> My wife has been watching uh that 70s show this week. Oh uh, yeah. Just in the last couple of days cuz it's on Netflix. And uh then you look at it and go Mila Kunis was like 15 when she started on that show. And uh wow, that makes me feel very uncomfortable. Mhm. Yeah. I didn't feel so as uncomfortable when I first watched it in the first run because I was only like nineteen or twenty then. So, but uh, sure, sure. I mean, that's but now I'm I'm in my thirties and I'm like and I'm like, oh god, you know. Yeah. Um, although I just love Mila Kunis anyway. So yeah, she's uh, she's nice to look at. I definitely say we got to put uh, forgetting Star Marshall on this list. Um, yeah, we could do that. Yeah, about. put that in the uh, next time we do the sex comedy series. That'd be a perfect fit for that. I will mention uh, just just a brief thanks to the projection booth. They actually ran our uh, promo in their latest episode for uh, Detour. We actually got a little nice little upswing in uh, listens and one confirmed subscriber, <laughs> one new confirmed nice. subscriber. So there you go. Thank you to that one person. We do this for you. That's yeah. it. <laughs> And uh, I think we're going to do Detour at some point in the near future as well, Yes, right? definitely. I, actually, I listened to that episode uh, last night at work, and I was like, holy fuck, why have I not heard of this movie? So uh, That's the Noir from 46, right? Yep. Apparently yeah, fairly I, obscure and hard to get. I'm pretty sure I've seen that, actually. Hmm. Yeah, because it has that like famous opening, which is uh, windshield, the, uh, the um, uh, windshield wipers on the... Uh, Maybe I'm thinking of the wrong movie. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty oh, sure well. I've seen it though. Yeah, uh, I'm definitely. But it would have been like ten years ago or something. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely interested in doing that one. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Oh, necrophilia. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, Prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. 
It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of it. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept Little popping history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Movies need only three things. Badasses. You tell me what you want done, and I'll do the hell out of it. A chick with drive who don't take no jive. Boobs. Do you know that the female breast, known to be the source of life since Eve, can be deadly weapons? And body counts. The Mathematics of Murder and Menace. The BB and BC Podcast is your source for exploitation film discussion of B-movies. You can find the show on iTunes and Stitcher Radio by searching for BB and BC Podcast. You can also listen to each episode directly from the show's website located at badassesboobsandbodycounts.com. Let's go to work.
But yeah, we can uh, move on now to our first film. And we're going to be talking about Cleopatra Jones from 1973. selling so much as a cough drop i'm coming down on you so hard tamara dobson the soul sisters answer to james bond and the most exciting new star in years six feet two of dynamite and it's all stacked i told you where and i told you when and i told you how to get that cleopatra jones she is sticking her nose in my business, sir. And up against her is the arch enemy, the female successor to Goldfinger, two-time Academy Award winner Shelley Winters as Mommy. Don't crowd me, boy. You better put that down before I make you eat it. Oh, I don't want this town to blow up. <laughs> Big deal. Just hang it right there. Right on, sweet sister. Man, that broad is ten miles of bad road. Black lady. I'll take care of Cleopatra Jones. Cleopatra Jones, starring Tamara Dobson. Co-starring Bernie Casey, Brenda Sykes, Esther Rowe, and Shelley Winters as Mommy. Directed by Jack Starrett, who you might actually recall from uh, as being the cop in Rambo, one of the cops, one of the dirty cops, the one with the uh, nightclub that tries to strangle Rambo in the police station. <laughs> and uh, he also directed he also directed uh, Slaughter from 1972 and Race with the Devil from 1975. And he's done all kinds of other stuff, but that's sort of the prominent stuff you can uh, recall from him. Uh, written by Max Julian and Shelton Ke- and Sheldon Keller. It is starring Tamara Dobson as Cleopatra Jones, Shelley Winters as Mommy, Bernie Casey as Reuben Masters, uh, who you might remember from Re- Revenge of the Nerds and basically every other movie that requires a, a black character actor. Uh, <laughs> He's also in The Man Who Fell to Earth. Yeah. Which him. is the other thing I remember him from. 
Yeah, uh, Antonio Fargus as Doodlebug Simpkins, uh, who you'll know as Huggy Bear from Starsky and Hutch. He's also in Putney Swope and Shaft, too. Other other prominent roles for him. Brenda Sykes as Tiffany. Bill McKinney as Officer Purdy. Uh, Esther Roll as Mrs. Johnson. Dan Fraser as Captain Crawford, and Don Cornelius as himself uh, from Soul Train. Uh, so there you go. And uh, Daniel, I'll let you uh, read off the synopsis for us. Yeah, we're just going uh, straight off of Wikipedia today, um, so uh, my apologies. Cleopatra Cleo Jones is an undercover special agent for the United States government. Overseas modeling is only a cover for her real job. Cleo is a bottom-like heroine with power and influence. Her silver and black 73 Corvette Stingray, equipped with automatic weapons, and her martial arts ability. While she evokes the glory of a funk goddess, she remains loyal to her drug-ravaged community and her lover, Ruben Masters, who runs a BNS house, a community home for recovering drug addicts. The film opens with Cleo overseeing the destruction of a poppy field in Turkey, belonging to an evil drug lord, Mommy. Mommy employs an all-male crew and a bevy of beautiful young women catering to her many wants. When she hears about her poppy's demise, she plots revenge, ordering a corrupt policeman to raid the BNS house. When Cleo returns to L.A. to arrest the police responsible for the raid, she continues to take apart Mommy's underworld drug business, throwing her minions along the way. And Cleo and Mommy face off in a showdown, in which she is trapped by Mommy in a car crusher, but is saved by her friends from the BNS house. In the final showdown, Cleo chases Mommy to the top of a magnetic crane where the two women fight. Mommy proves to be no match for Cleo, who hurls Mommy over the side of the crane to her death, while Cleo's friends defeat her henchmen. At the end of the film, as Ruben and the members of the community celebra- celebrate victory, Cleo departs the scene. She sets off to complete her mission of stemming the tide of drugs that flow into her community. <laughs> uh, one of the uh, tried and true tropes of the black exploitation genre is to, to to stop people from bringing drugs into the community. Uh, what, what's your sort of initial thoughts on this one, Daniel? I really liked this. This is uh, so I did watch TNT Jackson first before I watched this, which might have influenced a little bit. Of, uh, <laughs> when we get to TNT Jackson, we will uh, discuss that. I loved Tamara Dobson first of all. I just. I, she, she's phenomenal in this. I love Bernie Casey. There's a little bit of a political angle with the the racist cop planting of drugs on people and, and those sorts of angles. I kind of love the silliness of it, you know, that she's like a member of the, like she, this unnamed federal agency. She's just <laughs> U.S. government. Like, I can make something that looks like that. And I could just like kill people and flash it. Like, no, I'm with the U.S. government. Go yeah, away. This, yeah, this is a universe where if you have that, you only answer to the president, nobody else, basically. And... Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. you know, there, she, she has no, there is no higher authority, and she can just come in and just do whatever the fuck she wants. It's really, she, she exists in some sort of strange, semi-totalitarian police state, really, if she's recognized as... <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, there's absolutely the kind of political reading where she's like trying to save her neighborhood and she's absolutely both of and both a part of and kind of outside this this neighborhood and this kind of black community and like is working with the under the auspices of the U.S. government. By the way, the U.S. government was in no way in favor of the kind of leftist black community in the 1970s. And so, I mean, there is this kind of sense of where you kind of feel like, well, the way this movie got made was they kind of made her an agent of the U.S. government, which is, is kind of a sore thumb that sticks out 
and a, and a little bit of a detriment to the film except that it just makes it extra ridiculous. Also, like her purview allows her to simultaneously destroy poppy fields in uh, Turkey, about $30 million of the product, apparently, we're told, and also to just randomly police neighborhoods. So apparently mm-hmm. she has no like restraint on, on what she's allowed to do uh, whatsoever. So she's kind of like Judge Dredd. You know, she's Judge Dredd with a fro. It's kind of, you know, she's <laughs> a, and uh, I'm kind of a fan. Man, there's so much to just kind of love about this. There's a dirt bike sequence, and mm-hmm. the car is kind of amazing, and uh, Bernie Casey and the relationship she has with him. Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's a ton of fun. I mean, I just, I sat down and I just watched it, and it's just, it washes over me, and it just make, it just made me happy. And uh, a great villain when uh, Shelley Winters is mommy, a problematic villain in a lot of ways, but also super fun to watch because she's basically the, not to put too fine a point on it, she's the bulldike of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, she's uh, absolutely you know, surrounded with a bunch of beautiful, uh, kind of conventionally attractive uh, young girls who she just molests on a regular basis <laughs> from what we from what we see. And um, she's the bad guy. And uh, there's some really interesting kind of feminist readings of some of this that um, you know we may or may not get into. But uh, the Wikipedia page kind of summarizes pretty well. So I thought you know I'd at least mention that. But. This is actually the second time I've watched it. Uh, I, I bought it years ago. Uh, I think it was around 2009-ish. I bought this. I bought all the Shaft films. It was around, around the same time I bought Black Dynamite, and I basically I was trying to reacquaint myself to black exploitation stuff I had watched and hadn't watched and just see where all the sort of tropes came from that made Black Dynamite the sort of movie it is. Sure. Yeah. And this is a lot like Black Dynamite because it, it's kind of a parody of black exploitation films to a small degree. Yeah, there's, um, there's, there's a lot of that going on where it feels like it's, it's, it's kind of heightening everything to a, to a fever pitch. Um, it also feels to be a little bit higher budget. It feels like there's a little bit more money yeah. behind this than there are in a, in a lot of other films of this kind of ilk. It, it, it has a little bit more scope, and that gives it just a sort of a sense of professionalism, for lack of a better word. You know? Yeah, well, this is very much like a female answer to Shaft, really. Like it, It's on that sort of same level, that's, that same sort of uh, upper-tier kind of black exploitation film to that sort of degree. Yeah. And like, like you said, it is it is a fairly progressive film, uh, as as far as you know, showing a strong female character who is equal and often superior to most of the the males in the film, depending on what sort of alignment they are, whether they're good or evil or whatever, you know. And it, it's it's interesting you mentioned uh, how Shelley Winter's character is sort of problematic. I was kind of thinking maybe it still kind of reflects maybe sort of the black community's attitude towards homosexuality to a certain degree, how it hadn't quite maybe as progressed as much back then. From an intersectional perspective, I mean, we'd absolutely just kind of say, you know, look, they were totally on board with, I mean, the makers of the film were totally on board with sort of this kind of, you know, leftist black politics, black power kind of stuff. I mean, that's very prominent in the film, which is great. But they were not quite as enlightened on, you know, the roles of gay people, you know, because there are basically two. I mean, there's there's not only mommy who feels very much like the inspiration of the uh, the mom character from Futurama, if yeah. you're uh, familiar with that at all. Like, it uh, yeah, feels very obviously like oh, somebody on the Futurama crew saw this. Um, but you also have the kind of dandyish white butler chauffeur character. Yeah. Um, from uh, what's his name? Doodlebug? Doodlebug? Yeah, Doodlebug. 
who uh, speaking speaking of uh, Black Dynamite, you can see the direct influence for Cream Corn from Doodlebug, like exact same character, basically, pretty much. Except right. he's not a crime lord in Black Dynamite. There's a lot of fun happening here. I mean, I, I feel like they're you know they're also kind of joking around, like the the sequence where uh, Cleo kind of walks in on the two brothers, and you know he thinks they're gonna fight for a second, and they just kind of like. You know, low five. It's like, all right, yeah, we're good. Don't worry. Yeah, they just slap some skin because they're they're they they instantly know. Like they just have this sort of internal kind of uh, communication. Like, oh, she needs us for some shit. Let's get, let's get it on. And um, yeah. yeah, that's that's the thing. Like, you can definitely read a lot of sort of political and social stuff into this, but you really don't have to because the film is so lighthearted and funny. It's a very populist kind of black exploitation film where. It doesn't take itself too seriously. The stuff is there if you want it. Basically, this is a comic book film. Like yeah, I, I was watching, absolutely. and I'm just thinking. I mean, this it's, is it's, very... it's James Bond. I mean, yeah. Actually, since since we're talking, I mean, you know, I I was watching the first you know ten minutes and going, this is basically a third Doctor story. If the third Doctor was a black woman with a fro, you, know? <laughs> <laughs> you essentially got unit going like you know. Uh, you know the the British, you know intelligence guys. Oh, we're going to bomb the pop, the poppy fields, and she's like, "Yeah, do it, done. It's fine." Like, yeah. And I'm literally like, "Yeah, this would be an excellent model, future model for the Doctor. I want to see that in Doctor Who. Is is this kind of character? <laughs> it would be great." Um, yeah, it takes all the sort of tropes of classic black exploitation cinema and it, it puts them in there, but. Again, it, it is kind of a comedy, kind of a parody. It doesn't take itself super serious. One of the detriments is that Tamara Dobson's not really like an action star, really. Like her her kung yeah. fu, her kung fu is pretty fucking weak, honestly. And one of these things for this film that I do have a bit of a problem with is that it seems like she's too good to be fighting the likes of Shelley Winters and her guys. She she's got the James Bond thing going, right? She should be up against like someone who's trying to take over the world, not some some lesbian not, drug. Not some, some not some hoodlum, essentially. You know, yeah. some, some person trying to take over a neighborhood. Yeah, I mean, I just kind of bought that as like this is just one of the many adventures that we could see of Cleopatra Jones. Like, like this is it feels like this should be like we should have like a little ten or fifteen minute opening sequence where we see her like take down a, a like a big bad guy, and then this is her like coming back home and being like, oh no, I got to come back and take this down. And I, I mean, obviously we get the destruction of the poppy fields and stuff, but you, you feel like there should be like a big action sequence, you know, she's her, almost kind of like Bruck, Buckaroo Banzai, like Buckaroo yeah. Banzai feels that same way where it's just part of a continuing series that you haven't seen the first few episodes of, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. No, I, I would absolutely uh, kind of uh, support an extended series. I know there's a sequel and from reading, yeah. I think that people think the sequel is not very good. So I'm kind of uh, okay with not, um, not visiting that right away, but, uh, Super fun movie. There's a lot of great jokes. I mean, there's. A lot, I mean, again, the um, the the foppish chauffeur guy. Oh, know, the, where, butler. the butler. Yeah, uh, where Matt, he kind of walks in. And, what the fuck is he wearing? This, <laughs> this yellow suit. Like, yeah, yeah. This yellow like jockey suit essentially is kind of what he's wearing. Well, yeah, it's, and, it's uh, funny because Doodlebug and his two thugs they they use him as sort of like a clown. They yeah. they they get off on the fact that they got this white guy working for them and, and catering to their every need. Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely a thing. Um, and, and you get the sense that he's this guy dying on his luck, too, because the last scene where they're in the car there and they get ambushed, he, he makes this reference, this, this passing reference to things weren't like this back in the RAF or whatever, you know? Like So he's the, so he's this ex, <laughs> ex-World War II veteran who fell fallen on bad times, and now he's working for black gangsters, you know? <laughs> 
what 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 are you gonna do, man? You know, like yeah. you know, the class system has its benefits. I don't know. Like, wow, yeah, no, that's a yeah. There's there's totally a political reading on that, and I'm just not gonna get into it at all. But, um, no, it's 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 kind of like I can see kind of sitting down at this in uh, 1973 and just kind of letting it wash over me and just kind of loving this and and uh, having a lot of fun with it. I think a lot of the political dimensions come later, you know, sort of like reinterpreting it through kind of a 21st century perspective, which for me just enhances the film. It just makes it more interesting, you know, to kind of look at it through that lens, Um, which I don't really want to talk about in this. Like right now, um, the last thing I want to do right now is to think about politics, given the events of the last couple of weeks. Um, This is my this is my escape from that. It's just a fun fucking movie. I love the lieutenant character. She's kind of in, in charge of the police, and then like she shows up, and it's like, oh god, now I got to deal with Cleo again. Yeah, like, you know, he has that one part, that one sort of throwaway line there at, at one point. Where if, have you ever felt? I don't. I don't think he says emasculated, but have you ever? Have you ever? Have you ever felt emasculated? Because every every time Cleo walks in, because of her special. Uh, status as a, as a secret agent and stuff she gets to call the shots basically and tell him what to do and he's okay with it i mean but she he's, still feels the need to tell him <laughs> well he's completely on board with like look she's way better than me at this and she's gonna come in and like clean this up it's gonna be great i will mop up her messes things are gonna be great there's also this thing of like whenever cleo walks into a room and they're like you know men they're always attracted to her but they mm-hmm. always respect her which i think is great you know because like she gets a little like i think uh the lieutenant there he gets a little like kiss from her you know like the little peck kind of thing and it's just kind of like that's all it is uh, he even says at one point like oh you got a beautiful body and she's just like come on dude we got to move on cut the crap Yes, every man in in the film, and and actually rightly so, because Tamara Dobson's fucking gorgeous. Uh, Yeah, every every one of them, they can't help. She walks by; they they take a second look at her and go, "Oh, good to see you back in the community, Cleopatra." You know, like (laughs) miss seeing you around. Definitely, you know, and and everyone wants to help. Like it's got this sort of theme of uh, black community solidarity, where where everyone and all the good people in the community come together to push all the bad people out of the community. And I mean, Cleopatra Jones is so feared that Doodlebug, he don't want to fuck with her at all. Like he's like, he, he severs his ties with uh, with mommy, like pretty much instantly. Like, oh shit, Cleopatra's back around and she's fucking with you. I'm out of here. I'm, I don't want no connection to this shit at all. <laughs> I mean, there is that kind of angle where I mean, we are talking about like early '70s New York, essentially, which was I mean, crime was terrible in early yeah. '70s in New York, you know. Um, there's a lot of kind of nostalgia for for that era in terms of how dirty it was, but also like people were being killed. Large numbers of people were being killed every day, and so to have these kind of heroines, these these kind of characters to kind of come in and and um, you know, I mean, you said earlier, let's talk like a superhero film. I mean, she's a yeah. she is a superhero who's coming in and cleaning up a neighborhood full of people that are you know trying to harm people, trying to fix trying to help people who are addicted to drugs and shit. I mean, you know, there, there's a very kind of socially conscious element to this, and it, and it feels yeah. very deliberate within the context of the film. They try to be fair of all sides. I mean, generally, that it shows the, even the police officers in general to be overall good. There's just, like, a couple bad apples in the pile that are, you know, spoiling the rest of the bunch. I mean, I don't know how intentional it is, but it's almost kind of like reaching reaching hands across the line or whatever to you know try to bring everybody together. You got to think with a movie with I mean this doesn't have a giant budget, but it's got enough of a you know there's enough money behind it that, that clearly it, it, it doesn't look involved. cheap at all. 
Yeah. Uh, once you once you kind of have that, then you know it kind of has to like kind of toady to the establishment a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I would have enjoyed it if there had been a little bit less of a like good, the police are good kind of element to this, and if she had if if it had been a little bit more kind of overtly anti-establishment. But I kind of understand that it it just kind of has to be what it is. Um, well, basically. and that's and I mean you got to remember like a lot of as much as people want to say like you know black exploitation films were for the the black community and were about the black experience and stuff like that a lot of them were made by like white jews oh uh, yeah no no i mean basically i mean basically you've got like you know black actors and 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 black you know you've got black people in a movie for black audiences but who profits off of it you know white people yeah <laughs> but uh but it, but at the same time a lot of the stuff you'd see in these films were kind of sort of fantasy and like black wish fulfillment to a certain degree. So the idea of like a super cool black woman who can work within the establishment and not necessarily actually, she just kind of runs the establishment when you think about it to a certain degree, like that, you that's see still no one in the film who is of a higher authority than Cleo. Yeah. Jones. I mean, that's still pretty yeah. cool. Like, and I mean, that trope was even parodied in black dynamite where black dynamites an ex CIA and, all that shit, and, and they, they bring him out of retirement and stuff, even though he wants no part of the white man's game anymore and all this stuff, you know? like it, It's very much kind of a theme that runs through a lot of... I mean, even Shaft is kind of like that, where every all, all the white cops and stuff know Shaft, knows his shit, and respects Shaft, and fears Shaft, and Shaft, you know, he, he works with them sort of begrudgingly, but wants nothing to do with them at the end of the day. It's... Right. <laughs> So it's so it's like the black person calling their own shots at the end of the day is is sort of the theme, which is a, which is a really I mean particularly in the early seventies was a really powerful like image and I mean just having a film that you know is so focused on sort of black issues is is yeah. really I mean that's that's really what black exploitation was for the black community it's like regardless of how problematic some of this is and regardless of you know kind of. The, the film quality, just seeing these kinds of heroes in the in this kind of vein and t- talking about issues that matter to us, that mattered, you know. Yeah. Um, and one thing I, I just, I, I think we're kind of wrapping up on Cleo Jones a little bit, but I would highly recommend this film to anybody who watched Luke Cage and didn't quite get it. Um, yeah. Because this is, this is definitely, like, once you watch this, I and because my wife had uh uh, kind of watched uh, the first half of this with me because I watched this twice this week <laughs> because I actually didn't enjoy it that much, but I watched the, mm-hmm. I watched a little bit of it and uh, my wife watched it and was like, Oh, I kind of like, she, she already loved Luke Cage, but it was definitely a, this totally makes Luke Cage make a lot more sense in terms of the structure and the pacing and you mm-hmm. know, kind of the way that the things work. And it's like, yeah, no, that's completely, I mean, you know, Luke, the Luke Cage series is very much, a kind of merger of superhero black exploitation and you know crime novels. <laughs> you yeah, know, those yeah, three yeah. things. You know, so I gotta say, like Tamara Dobson, even though she only had a few, really did very little acting. She only had a couple roles after this, and she does a great job. She she, she knocks it out of the park. I mean, I, I think I think she's she's the mesmerizing thing to watch in the film, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. I mean, just just looking at her, I mean, she's just phenomenal. You know, yeah, and she's not asked to do that much, like as an actress. I mean, you know, it's not, but she's a star. She's got that star quality, and there is that kind of thing when you see somebody like this and go, like, had it not been for the fact that she is unapologetically black, you mm-hmm. know, had it not been for the fact that not only is she black, but she's fairly dark skinned for a black woman, and she has an afro. I mean, and she's wearing like 
black clothes, you know, so yeah. they, they make no effort to kind of make this palatable for white audiences. And I wonder um, to what degree that really is just kind of like it just kind of killed her in terms of like really expanding or having a, a career outside of the, you know, a handful of these kinds of films, you know, because yeah, she's... It's, yeah, it's hard. It's it's hard to say. I mean, I don't even know if maybe she was even interested in pursuing acting as much after this. I don't know. But uh, originally, her role was actually written for uh, Vanetta McGee, who uh, we know from The Great Silence, who was the the girlfriend of Max Julian uh, at the time. Because uh, Tamara Dobson was taller, she actually got the got the role, made her more statuesque and more uh, imposing. So, <laughs> so she gets- she's six foot two. So, you know, nice. Um, and <laughs> uh, so, yeah, this was followed by the sequel, Cleopatra Jones and the Casino of Gold from 75. I haven't seen that yet either, honestly. Uh, I haven't heard great things, although it's got Stella Stevens in it, who I like. So um, I'm going to have to check that out. Time to, um, time to put that on a list then. We'll, yeah, we'll yeah. At some point. Apparently the box office for this by the fifth week, that's the best I can come up with for box office on this. It was uh, $400,000 in ticket sales, and eventually it gained about $3.2 million in rentals. So you got to think this did pretty well. Uh, I mean, the budget looks pretty good for this, but it couldn't have been more than a couple million, really, at, at that point yeah, in 73. The, so. Wikipedia says uh, $3.5 million. What? Yeah, for yeah, rentals. Okay, okay, Wikipedia is untrustworthy. I can't believe that because it has a line that says budget and then three point two million and then US Canada rentals, i.e. Yeah. Somebody was copying and pasting and not understanding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I like this one. Uh, I even like like the soundtrack's very uh, pretty decent. It's it's a sort of a typical kind of R and B kind of blues soundtrack. It's not yeah. necessarily a standout as like Shaft and stuff like that. But uh, I, I didn't I didn't leave the film like humming it, but I enjoyed it while it was on. You got a you got a cool little girl group there uh, towards mm-hmm. the end. Um, yeah, and uh, you've also got the uh, the kind of fun. Uh, I always love watching films of this era because. Uh, they have the the intro theme, which is kind of your your hero's theme, you know. Yeah. Like, you know the title theme is like, oh yeah, Cleo Jones is a badass, um, which always makes me think of the old fifties westerns. So there is mm-hmm. this kind of like I, I always feel like you know a, a film like High Noon and a film like this are very much in this. They're 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 working on the same template. Yeah. Um, which I think is is a kind of a, a really the way to kind of walk into this where. Mm. I mean, it does work as a, a sort of let's introduce a hero, let's put them through a situation, and then we get a happy ending, you know. And that's kind of what the film is. But instead of talking about like the old west and uh, you know cattle rustlers or whatever, you've got drug dealers in New York City. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but I, I think we're both in agreement. This is a really good one to check out. I would highly recommend if if you're a fan of like Black Dynamite do this in like a, a double feature because they're very much on the same wavelength. It's just like black dynamites, a sort of a homage parody of like a really terrible version of one of these films. And Cleopatra Jones is actually like the really good version of one of those films. <laughs> so right. it's a good contrast and comparison, I think. So uh, we're, we're well worth checking out. Uh, highly recommended. Really yeah. highly recommended. Uh, Now we're going to move on to TNT Jackson from 1974. 
TNT Jackson. Black bombshell with a short fuse. Damn. The name is Diana Jackson. <laughs> TNT to This hit lady's charm will break both your arms. She's a one-mama massacre squad. Yeah. Yeah. She's as good as any man I've ever seen. She should be eliminated. I love your style. A super soul sister and a bad news brother, undercover, out to blast the killer army that's poisoning the people with deadly China white. I want in on the next delivery. But I want to pick my own men. I want to form a squad of the finest fighters in this city. You dirty black bastard. <laughs> Care of your business and then get out of here. You know, this isn't exactly a safe place. You best be the fine, or she'll shatter your spine. I love that. Black Chinatown, where flesh is cheap and life is cheaper. And the Red Dragon rules. TNT Jackson. She'll put you in traction. Directed by Cerio H. Santiago. If you look at his IMDb, and I've seen some of his films that he's done, he has done everything from Z to about B-grade exploitation action cinema. He, he's got over uh, about 100 credits or something like that, wow. directorial alone. Yeah, I'm looking at the list now, yeah. Yeah, uh, he's done a lot of stuff. Uh, written by Dick Miller, yes, that Dick Miller, and uh, Ken Metcalf, and is starring Janine Bell as Diana TNT Jackson, who you might actually know from Mean Streets. And she actually had a small role in Cleopatra Jones as well. She's, I think she's that chick that uh, costs Cleopatra Jones at the stairwell or whatever. Like, oh, you're back in the community. What have you done for the community lately? You know, kind of shit. I think that's who that was. Um, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, she was uncredited in that film. But, and it's got Chiquito as Dynamite Joe Wong, who also has a quite a storied career in uh, cinema as well. He's got, I think he's got about almost 300 credits or something. <laughs> Stan Shaw, who you'll probably know from, again, every movie that needs a black character actor. Uh, I know him from uh, the Monster Squad the most, but uh, Stan Shaw is Charlie. Pat Anderson as Elaine, and Ken Metcalf, uh, who is also, again, the writer, as Sid. I'll let you get into the uh, synopsis for this one, Daniel. Sure. We're going to, again, read from Wikipedia. This is uh, very long and detailed, so I apologize. <laughs> the film is about Diana Jackson, a.k.a. TNT, who learns her brother is... She suspects a powerful gangster, and his friends are behind the disappearance. Determined to get at the truth, she goes to Hong Kong and, along with a friend named Joe, wages war on the criminal gang she's out to nail. Also, she shows her breasts a few times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that last sentence was my addition to the Wikipedia page. Yeah. yeah that's, um, so uh, just just to just kind of uh, add a little bit extra, there's a lot of story here. There's a lot of kind of uh, double crossings involving, uh, you know, some people who are cops who kind of are maybe dirty and maybe not. And then there's a 
kind of people kind of all coming after her and doing all this kind of stuff. There's a lot of plot. There's no real story here. I can, mm-hmm. I watched again. I watched it twice. I could not follow Bihu at all in the film. Um, and there's a lot of uh, chop sake style martial yeah. arts, a lot of kung fu. And that's the reason to watch the movie and uh, for, for our lead actress. That's about it. This is a Roger Corman New World Pictures cash-in on the exploitation genre. You know you're going to get... Roger Corman asks his, his advisors, what are in these films that sell? Well, a lot of these exploitation films have a lot of fighting in them, all right? They have a lot of black lingo in them. Okay, check. They have a lot of nudity in them. All right, we'll put that in. They have a lot of uh, racial epithets and uh, all kinds of other fun stuff like that. Okay, we'll stick those in there. All right, make me a movie and make it under budget. (laughs) And so, yeah, so that's exactly what you get here. This is very low budget, very full of plot, like you said. It feels like they're full of plot because they like dialogue scenes are cheap. More so yeah. than, like, there's an actual interest in, in creating plot. And this is probably because, like, the actors... I mean, none of the actors are very good in this, and let's just... I'd say Stan Shaw is actually pretty good in this. He, I, I, was, I said it, and then I was withdrawing from, from the <laughs> blanket statement, because I actually like the lead a bit um, as well. What's her name? Uh, Jean Bell. Um, I thought she was... Uh, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to fight you on that because I didn't like her at all. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I kind of land on... If you if you ask me to carry a film, I would do worse than she did, you know. And that's okay. That's kind well, of my, well, you're my, not a bar. you're not a black Playboy Playmate of the Month, though. So, no, I am not. And she is <laughs> fucking gorgeous, by the way. Yeah, she is. Yeah, <laughs> and maybe that kind of carried me through the film. But uh, there <laughs> that's what's of... that that is what is supposed to carry you through the film, I think. <laughs> and that's fine. I got yeah. no problem with that. There's a lot of kung fu in this, and mm-hmm. um, I don't know. It's sort of uh, it feels cheap, but it also like you can tell the difference between when they've got like stunt people kind of doing some of this, mm-hmm. when you've got the leads. Oh wait, now we're cutting from above or we're from a distance. Oh, it, it, it's totally. It's suddenly, yeah, it's, it's totally difference in terms of the quality of the kung fu. You know, it's, it's totally the Star Trek uh, stunt double kind of thing for Captain Kirk and the fight scenes, where yeah. all of a sudden the angles from high above and his back is to the camera at all times, you know, kind of thing. It, it's very much sped up jump cut foo at its finest because there, there are so many jump cuts and just sped up under cranking. There's some yeah. slow-mo stuff going on here. There are a lot of jumps. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, feel, like, I feel like TNT Jackson just jumps at people. Like, she just kind of wanders off and then needs to fight and then just jumps on them. Yeah, she jumps back into frame and hits people. (laughs) It's like... (laughs) Yeah. Uh, there's there's a lot of that. Um, I will say I really admired, um, and this is a silly thing to admire. I really admired Jean Bell's use of her hands in the fight sequences. You know, like you you kind of get the she does these kind of weird hand things where she's like curling her yeah. fingers in this way. It just looks badass. Like, I understand like that's in no sense realistic, but it's just kind of fun to look at. So I kind of, I forgave a lot just because I'm like, I kind of liked Jean Bell. Like, I kind of felt she looks like she knew Kung Fu, except when she had to throw any kind of punch or anything. <laughs> Every time she finishes somebody off, she's immediately in a stance where her fingers and her hands start moving. And she's looking like about, you know, not quite 360, but she's, she's looking everywhere for someone new to hit. And there's no one around, but she's looking anyway. She, she, she's, she's determined mm-hmm. to hit anyone who's around her. And... 
this is this my, is my, I think my favorite bit of this episode so far, by the way, Lee, is the fact that both you and I, in describing this to our audio audience, have attempted to do the moves with our own hands. <laughs> this is really one that should have been a video podcast, you know. Oh god, yeah. Honestly, my biggest problem with this film actually is Janine Bell. Uh yeah. she's a she's a fucking bitch. She's a prick, man. She is a fucking prick. Like she, okay, well, yeah, yeah, okay. Her, okay, her brother went missing and was killed. Okay, boo hoo. I get that, but she's a dick to everybody. She's a fucking dick to every. The first time she meets up with Elaine, she just starts giving her to fucking run around. Like, fuck you, white bitch. I don't want to fucking listen to anything you have to say. Uh, the first thing Elaine does is offer her a fucking ride out of the fucking bad part of town. And the first thing she does is like, fuck you, bitch. I don't want to hear anything you have to say to me. <laughs> I'm just getting a ride from you. That's all. To, like, to be fair, we later learn that she's a cop. And so, like, therefore, you know. Yeah, it's got that, you know, you can't trust cops. But, I mean, come on. Elaine's actually probably, uh, Elaine and Joe are the two best characters in the film. Like, honestly, I wanted this film to be about Elaine at the end of it. I wanted her no, no. to be the one who wins. She just dies a senseless death. She runs she at the main bad guy and goes out the fucking window just because can't have the white chick standing next to the black chick at the end of a black exploitation film. <laughs> That's what it felt like to me. Yeah. No, I, 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 I mean, I don't disagree with that. And, and you're right that um, I don't think that it's Gene Bell's fault as much as it's the script doesn't give anybody any kind of oh, yeah, well, you know? that too. But I mean, um, come on, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say, oh, she's a great actress. I'm just saying I found her believable enough in this very stupid movie to, you know. Sit. Yeah, I mean, she's she's all right, but she's she's written to be an asshole. <laughs> I think the, the whether it's intentional or not, she comes off as an asshole in the film. And I was like, I'm not rooting for her. I'm ro- I'm actually rooting for Elaine. Like once you learn that she's an undercover cop. It's like okay, that's actually an interesting story. TNT Jackson, she just she just wanders around from like fight scene to fight scene. She doesn't really do much other than that, you know. She's almost like a sledgehammer, this this thrown through the pot. You know? She's she's kind of the I mean she's kind of the enforcer character. Like you can mm-hmm. almost see like a because it's kind of like oh yeah, well I grew up in Harlem and my dad what was it her dad was a black belt or something like yeah. that. You know? Yeah, her, her foster father taught her a few things to defend herself, and she's like this fucking world class martial artist who can beat like these these Asian martial artists who've been doing it their entire lives. <laughs> well, you know. It's just, I mean, she's our protagonist. I mean, yeah. you don't get the nickname TNT without being pretty well, badass. I'm I guess, yeah. Say, you know, <laughs> like, maybe Black Dynamite trained her back in the day or some shit. I don't know, but I, I mean, kind of feel like I kind of feel like we lost the opportunity here, where TNT should have been like initials or something. You know, it should have been Tamara something. You know, like like so. You know, it's that way. Oh, that's why she's named TNT. They just call her Diana, and it's like, come on, we we lost. There was a pun here that we should have made. Yeah, it should have been like uh, uh, Tamara Nubian uh, something. I don't know. But uh, fucking, uh, you know, I I just watching this, and like I said, Stan Shaw is really good in this. And there's hints of this as well. I would have made this movie, it wouldn't have been a black exploitation film anymore, but I would have made this movie as Elaine as the lead and her as the undercover cop. And there's this scene where she's flirting with Stan Shaw. That's a much more believable and interesting story than TNT Jackson walking into Stan Shaw's life, and he don't know her from shit. He's just 
all of a sudden he's like going along with, oh yeah, I'm going to let her get into my inner circle in this uh, drug trade that we're doing or whatever. And uh, I'm, I'm just, you know, going to make excuses for her all the time. Like, I don't buy it all that Stan Shaw is all of a sudden whipped by TNT Jackson walking into his life. It, it just, it doesn't work for me. But the idea I mean, of the... she, she is she is Jean Bell. I mean, there there well, is there is. Yeah, well, she's great looking, element, but, you know? but I mean, story structure wise, no, no, no. It, it, it is. I mean, no, but like to to hang your hat on that is like, well, that element doesn't make any sense. None of this makes any goddamn. Yeah, okay. I, I'm just saying, in a better film, it'd be Elaine as the undercover cop romancing Stan right. Shaw to get to the drug lord. And to, well, you could even still do the black exploitation film. You just give TNT Jackson like that role, yeah. You know, where, I mean, basically you turn it into Cleo Jones, right? Yeah, that's where, what it becomes. Right? Right. Like, oh yeah, and then you just take all the plot <laughs> elements from Cleo Jones and you just insert it into TNT Jackson, and TNT Jackson becomes a marginally better film. Yeah, this is uh, this is pretty bad. I watched it once and then uh, today watched it again on high speed just to uh, to kind of get another like glimpse at it. Much uh, more tolerable at high speed, I will I will say. Yeah, <laughs> I, I will say I do enjoy like some of the kung fu stuff gets better at the end. It's way better at the end. There's a lot more kind of fun stuff happening. There, there's some pretty hyper violent shit in this too. Like early on, she breaks one dude's arm, and it just like she breaks it so severely that this pool, this big spray of blood comes out of his fucking elbow. That's pretty cool. At yeah, it's end, not just she... a break. It's like a it's like like a hanging chad of an arm. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I like how she at the end there she she just punches through the dude, and it, then it almost feels like an Italian film because it directly ends right after that. It's just like yeah. It's over. TNT Jackson killed the dude. It's over. <laughs> no. <laughs> Denouement is not something we need in films like TNT Jackson. You yeah. know, like Rising Action Climax, done. It's over. Yeah. You know, I, I was kind of surprised early on in the film, like, like TNT Jackson, she just just to prove that she walked into the bad part of town in this and in, in uh, Taiwan or wherever the fuck she goes to. It's supposed to be uh, Hong Kong. Hong Kong is it? Okay. Uh, she she walks in there and. First thing she sees is this rapist trying to rape this woman, and this guy goes to try right to... by. <laughs> no, well, no, this this guy goes to try to save the woman, and the rapist beats up the guy trying to save the woman, and then chases after the woman who's run off. <laughs> I was like, "Whoa, okay, yeah, this is a bad part of town." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how bad this is. You know, I almost thought I was watching a Serbian film or something. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Although, you know, yeah, no one was raping their family in this one, thankfully. Yeah, well, that, that's <laughs> fair. Um, you did get the line in this, um, oh, I've never made it with a chink. You know, yeah. so, you know, that's... Or, or when, he, when the, she's giving Elaine shit, uh, I do all my business standing up, not not on my back, and she's like, oh, really? I never tried it that way before. <laughs> I, I, there's I like some how... good lines in this. Yeah, like I mean, there, there's doesn't... some there's some pretty good like, there's some pretty good like little 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 lines of dialogue where it's like, yeah, my favorite little bit is just when uh, you know Elaine just calls her bitch like a bitch. Yeah, no, I mean <laughs> Elaine, I, I champion Elaine in this film. She's the real hero in this. Like she doesn't take this this bitch. She doesn't take her shit. She throws it right back at her, and she's actually evenly matched as far as kung fu goes. She just unfortunately gets her head smacked into the side of a concrete wall more by mistake than anything else. I mean, I was rooting for her to beat the fuck out of TNT Jackson, honestly, because I was like, yeah, Yeah. tell that bitch where to fucking go. She's just walking into fucking Hong Kong, telling everyone to fuck off and bow down to her. And it's like, no, I got to undercover sting the fucking work and you're fucking it up. So, yeah. 
Elaine's my hero in this film, and I'm I'm still kind of pissed off that she just recklessly and and makes no sense at all, other than we have to get this character out of the film. Jumps through the window with the fucking crime boss at the end, like who is the most ineffectual crime boss, boring crime boss ever. It's like Ken Metcalf is like, I'm gonna write myself in this film, and I'm not gonna write any good lines for my character. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to put myself in this, but I'm not going to do anything like interesting with it. I'm just going to be there. Yeah. Apparently he did, I think, the rewrite of this script. It was originally Dick Miller wrote it, and then Roger Corman brought on Ken Metcalf to rewrite it. And maybe maybe he paid him by letting him be in the film, I guess. <laughs> I, I do know that Ken Metcalf actually worked with Santiago in like, more and more films after this. So um, there was some sort of collaboration there. Apparently, it was a good working relationship. This was the beginning. It just wasn't a very good beginning. Yeah. So, you know, although yeah. this was, although strangely enough, this was the film that uh, sort of put uh, Santiago on the map, though. Like, this was the first one that got him real notice. Of course, it, it helped that he was pairing up with Corman and uh, all that. The Apparently, the box office for this was $1.3 So that must be a major fucking return, because this looks like it was made for, like, 50 bucks. <laughs> this film is in the public domain now. Which I'm yeah. just going to say, like, you can't actually watch a really shitty version of this on the Internet Archive if you are desperate. If you want to, though, and this is what I'd recommend you do, look for the Lethal Ladies Collection from Shout Factory. Uh, it also has Firecracker from 1981 and Too Hot to Handle from 1977. It's a triple feature. Um, that was this sort of uh, Corman collection that was released by uh, Shout Factory over the last few years. And uh, that's probably your best DVD bet. Other than that, you're just going to get what you find on YouTube or on the internet archive pretty much. So yeah, the version on the version on the internet archive looks like it was shot from a handheld camera in a theater. Um, the version <laughs> on YouTube is, is better. That's the version I watched, but it's still a really kind of crappy print. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that's the print I have on one of my mill Creek uh, collections. Same, same exact one. So even, even then like the, the uh, Corman collection from show factory, it's definitely restored, but even then the sort of source materials they had weren't the greatest, but it still looks just like 10 times better than what you're going to see here. So if you're really interested in seeing TNT Jackson in its best form, you want to go for the lethal ladies collection. Yep. No, I, yeah, I'd go with that. Yeah, um, you know what? I would still recommend watching this one, honestly, because it is kind of fun. Uh, it, it, it's it's not a good movie at all. I, I won't try to fucking trick anyone into thinking it's a good movie. But if you're interested in black exploitation with uh, female protagonists, this is honestly this is the one I would tell you to start with, and then work your way up to the better ones, and just get a full kind of idea of how the genre sort of progressed. You know, it's sure, sure. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I get that, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm probably a little bit more forgiving of, of Gene Bell than than you are, and the kind of, I mean, you know, I just oh, wow. basically just don't pay attention to the plot at all. Just, just don't basically just watch it, watch it at low volume. Don't just, just listen, watch the faces. It'll be fine, you know. Forget well, what like writing it is, except for like a few good lines, and just move on. Well, I, I definitely like looking at her. I just don't like her acting all that much or her character. But I did enjoy that scene where she's fighting the goons in her in a room, and <laughs> she, she turns the light off and takes her shirt off, so she's totally black and no one can see her. Exactly, exactly. I mean, it's actually a pretty nifty little scene, honestly. Is, like, 
I, I mean, you know, we're we're kind of we're kind of like uh, poking fun at it, but it like I was like, oh yeah, and then she turns the light off, and there's some like chop socky kind of stuff happening, and then like they turn the light on, and she turns it off again. I mean, there's a there's a nifty little uh, thing going on there. I mean, it, it definitely feels like okay, somebody thought somebody thought ten minutes ahead, not a full day ahead where you'd normally think in terms of like shooting a movie, you know, <laughs> but somebody thought more than more than thirty seconds ahead when they were yeah, filming. There, there, there was a there was a script rewrite like. Thirty minutes before they shot the film, and <laughs> but, uh, uh, no, that's that was probably my favorite scene in the film, honestly. Yeah, um, was, I mean, because that comes right after you know the the Chinese uh, gangster is like gonna burn her breasts with a uh, a cigar, and yeah. then um, you know decides against it, and then uh, you know kung fu. So yeah, kung fu. Yeah, you, you fucked up, dude. You should have burned her when you had the chance. <laughs> you 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 decided that this this woman was going to fuck you, yeah. <laughs> like you know, like this was this was basically dumbest gangster ever, right? You know, uh, well she did fuck him, but just in a different way. Boot fucked him yeah. basically, but yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right, uh, Daniel, tell people where they can find you. Uh, all the recent sort of podcasting goodness you've been doing. Sure, um, you can find me on Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper. Uh, you can find all my podcasts. I have a bunch of them. Um, God, I've been a little bit out of the podcasting loop for a little bit lately, but you can find me at oispaceman.libson.com. That's oispaceman.libson.com. I do a Doctor Who podcast. I do a Red Dwarf podcast. I do a lot of other stuff kind of that goes in that feed. Um, so uh, go check me out there. That's probably the best way to get a hold of me. And I do write sometimes at a Rudatorum Press. I've been a little bit out of that. This fucking election is just completely taken all of my ability to do creative projects away, but we're, uh, <laughs> I'm getting back into it. So uh, there you go. Yeah, right on. And of course, you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com where you can find our iTunes, YouTube, and our Facebook links. Uh, best place to find us is our Facebook group where you can get in contact with us. So look for They Must Be Destroyed on Site on Facebook. Join up. No assholes there. It's just a lot of good uh, conversation every once in a while, and it's the best place to get your comments read and responded to. That's where we, that's the primary place where we look. And uh, yeah, I'm not sure what next week's going to bring. I'm not sure how I'm going to drop episodes the next couple weeks. Potentially it's going to be Night of the Creeps and Halloween 3. That is a suggestion from Paul. He wants to do those ones, so uh, that's probably what we're going to be recording next week and who knows when that shows up, but uh, that's kind of where we're at right now. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for watching. Or not watching, listening. You're listening. You're not watching. Unless you have some sort of secret cameras where you're looking at our webcams right now or we're recording. We've been hacked by the Russian government. Yeah, Putin. Putin is really interested in our podcast. But, yeah, thank you uh, guys for listening. Thank you, Daniel. And uh, we'll see you guys later. Bye-bye. Cheers. Nice to be here. Always.
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For past episodes, links to the host's other stuff and links to various podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can also find our iTunes, YouTube, and Facebook links. Please join our Facebook group, as this is the best way to get in contact with us and to keep up to date with what's coming up on the podcast. We also can be found as part of the Oi Spaceman family of podcasts at oispaceman.com, where you can find various sci-fi-themed podcasts about Doctor Who, Red Dwarf, Firefly, and classic sci-fi novels. If you decide to subscribe to us through iTunes, please take a moment to leave us a star rating and a review. Thank you. Drive through.